Man, thank you guys so much for coming out and getting out in the weather and the cold. But I'm telling you what, it might be cold outside, but it's about to get hot up in here. You know what I'm saying? Because we believe that God's going to speak to you today. We also want to welcome everyone watching online. We know there's people all over the world who obviously can't be here, but want to tune in and see what God is doing. Thank you guys so much for tuning in as well. Let's just pray and ask God to do what only He could do. And that's just to speak to our hearts this morning, to speak into our lives, right? You didn't fight through the cold and the snow to get here, not to hear from the Lord. So I believe today, we have something very special for you, but I believe today the Lord is going to speak into your life. So come on, would you pray? Father God, thank you so much for your love and your grace that all the promises are yes and amen. That God, we have thousands and thousands of promises in this word. And God, I pray that we will claim those promises that you have for us, that we will believe the promises that the word that you speak to us. And God, I ask you to do what only you could do this morning. God, that's just to speak. God, it's evident your presence is here. You're in this place. And we ask you, Lord, to speak into our hearts and our lives. We love you, Jesus. For it's in your name we ask and we pray. Come on now. And everybody say, amen, amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Go ahead, look at the person beside you. Say, I'm glad you're here today. I know you're watching online. Look at the person in your pajamas beside you. Say, I'm glad you're here today as well. You know, we're in this series called Fresh Faith. And, and we, we, we typically try to plan out our series. We try to stay two to three months out, seeing what maybe the Lord is doing and, and what's going on in the culture and the life of our church. And, and we stay on top of those, just kind of praying through, you know, Lord, what would you have to speak to this house, to this group of believers? And so we, we think about this, we pray about it, and we, we plan ahead. We try to do our very best. And this day, we plan ahead. And, you know, the Lord knew today it was going to snow. The Lord today knew it was going to be cold outside and knew that all you will be watching online as well. And so when we think about faith, if you recap here, a lot of times we think about, you know, you know, what do you do when faith and doubt collides? We talked about that. What do you do when you say, I believe God, but then I doubt? I don't want to doubt, but sometimes I do doubt. And if you, if you missed that, that was the first week of this, this series, we want you please to go back and watch it. And then last week we talked about what do you do when you get a word from God? Like when God speaks to you, like I think God is, is, is telling me maybe to go to this college or to take this job or to marry this person or to bless these people. Like what do you do when you get a specific word from God? How do you respond to that? And so we talked about that last week. So if you missed that, you're more welcome to go back and watch it online as well. And today when we're planning this series and we're thinking through, specifically today, heading into our 11-year anniversary, one of the biggest things a lot of times that we struggle with in the faith realm, I would say, is the provision that God has for our life, that God really will provide for us. I mean, come on, think about it. We look at our, at our economy. We look at the stock market. We look what happened in 2008, how it affected everyone even today. We got the largest, all these baby boomers. Everyone is retiring, and we, our country's on the end of bankruptcy. I mean, it's right there, right? $22 trillion in debt. You just don't get out of that, man. I don't know. It's going down. You know what I'm saying? And so you look at this, and you're like, God, I believe that you're going to take me to heaven. I believe you're going to save me, and you forgive me of my sins. But I don't know if you will provide for me in a broken world. And there's a passage found in the Sermon of the Mount, because the Lord knew that we would struggle with this. And, and it's found in Matthew 6. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to set this up, and then I'm, I, we have something very special for you today. But in Matthew 6, I want you to listen to what Jesus is telling his followers, what he says to you. So I want you to hear this as if Jesus was speaking this right to you today, right into your ear, right into your heart. And it says this in Matthew 6. It's not on the screen, but I want to read this to you. Jesus says, 
That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Well, let's just stop right there. Who's in trouble? <laughs> right? Oh, woe is me. Right? I mean, oh, what do you mean? How do you not worry? Don't worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns, yet your heavenly Father, please don't miss that, your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I just shared this with a friend yesterday, that worry cannot change the past and it cannot control the future. It just hurts you physically today. And that's really what worry is. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't even work, but they make their clothing. Yet Solomon, all of his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares about the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will you certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? You see, a lot of times we struggle that, God, I know you saved me and I know you love me, but I don't know if you could put food on the table. I don't know if you're going to help me get out of this debt that I'm in. I don't know if you're going to help me plan for retirement where I can retire with dignity. I don't know if you're going to help me get the kids through college, right? I mean, over and over and over, we trust God and we have faith he'll provide, but then we doubt. We trusted that he'll take us to heaven, but man, I just don't know if you can really put food on the table for my family. So this is what he says. So don't worry about these things, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. That's very important. How do I have faith today for the provision God has for me tomorrow? Like God said as his children, I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about all this. I will take care of you. So then he says this though. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And then he goes and says this. Just one more time, so just in case we miss it. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow brings its own troubles in itself. So how do I get in position to trust God for the provisions he has for my life. And the reality is a lot of us, we've got ourselves in, in situations, right? I mean, this is, a lot of us, we, we get ourselves in credit card debt or bad debt, or we get ourselves, we spend, 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 we don't know how to manage our money, we don't know how to do all this thing, then all of a sudden we pray, God, bail us out, right? That's like the student who doesn't study for the test and begs God for an A. Can I get a witness? Anybody? That was my prayer life, right, in college, Right? Right? We, we, we don't do nothing, but when we ask God to show up and clean up all of our mess. And God's like, listen, I'll bring the rain, but you got to dig the ditch. you got to get the harvest ready. So how do we get in positions to receive the provisions that God has for our life? We remember the talents. Remember the, the parable of the talents where God gave talents to a certain one, but one took the talent and didn't do nothing with it. He hid it in the ground. And Jesus came and said, why would you do this? I've given you something. Now here's how I want you to manage what I've given you. And today I want to come and preach to you about how to, how to get in position and what are some things we can do 
for the provision that God has for us tomorrow. And so we planned this out a couple months ago, and today we're going to have Dave Ramsey was going to, you know, he's going to share with us today about how we could do this, because I could preach this message, but there's nobody better to speak to this than Dave. And when you think about it, there's this church in Pennsylvania, they're called Lives Changed by Christ Church. It's a fascinating church. They've got like 18,000 people, 20 campuses all over. They're taking the state of Pennsylvania by storm. And this month, they had Dave Ramsey come in and begin to host some of the teachings about how do we kind of get in position to win with our money to for God to provide for us faithfully. And so I reached out to them and they said, man, listen, be part of this with us. And today they allowed us to be part of this as we have simulcast today, Dave Ramsey in the house. So come on, I'm telling you what, if you will open up your ears, I'm just a very special guest because Dave can't travel all over all the churches, but because of technology, even because of your generosity, people in the nursing home, people who are shut-ins, people who can't get out because of weather or physical or illness, guess what? Because of your generosity, we're able to take the gospel to them. And today, the same way, as Dave comes, he's going to share with us a word. I'm telling you what, it's great. I've already been listening to what Dave has been doing, teaching in Pennsylvania. And today, he's going to come and speak to us right here in Moorhead, Kentucky, and abroad. So come on, let's get together. Get your pen and paper out. Let's take some notes. We're going to look, how do we get in position for God to provide for us for tomorrow? So here's Dave, guys. So 36 years ago, my wife Sharon and I got married. We were dumb. We were broke. How many of y'all started out broke? You remember? We ain't got money, honey, but we got love. That was us. We didn't do pre-marriage counseling. We didn't know anything about anything. We were dumb. We were so dumb, we didn't talk about religion before we got married. We didn't talk about crazy in-laws before we got married. We didn't talk about sex before we got married. We didn't talk about kids before we got married. And turns out we had all of them. <laughs> so we get married, moved to Nashville where I grew up in a little one-bedroom apartment eating off a card table. And we've been married about two weeks and my wife remembered that she's a Baptist. Now I was a hell-raising, beer-drinking hillbilly. And she knew that. I didn't know she was a Baptist. This had never come up. But apparently it's a doctrine or a theological thing or something to where once you're a Baptist, you're always a Baptist, right? So she wakes up and says on Sunday morning, we're going to church. I start laughing. I said, we're not doing anything. It's Sunday. I'll be drinking beer and watching football. I mean, Dallas might even make it to the playoffs. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. And she says, we're going to church. And so begins her argument, to say the least. Well, finally, she gets mad and is crying and carrying on. And of course, this is Nashville, y'all. It's the buckle of the Bible Belt. In Nashville, there are more Baptists than people. <laughs> and, and so I, she decides she's just going to get mad and go to church. Now, she's not from Nashville. She, we've been there two weeks. She doesn't even know where she is. But it didn't take her long to connect up with her tribe. There's a Baptist church on every corner. So she, she finds a little Baptist church and goes in and goes to church and comes down front with the little Baptist elders and prays for her heathen husband and then comes back home and, ugh, next week this repeats itself, next week this repeats itself. This is not going well, y'all. Not going well at all. So one of my beer drinking buddies, there's a lot of beer in this story, but um, one of my beer drinking buddies 
comes over and he decides he's going to teach me. He, he gets me into this multi-level thing because he and me, the two of us, we're going to get rich together. We're going to get the yacht and the big house, you, you know, the, you know, get rich in a get rich quick thing. Right. And, and so he gets me into this thing and we, it was, it was awful. It was horrible. So we, we're going trying to make sales, but here's how dumb we were. We would go to happy hour and then go make sales calls <laughs> and couldn't figure out why we couldn't make a sale. We were dumber than a rock. So after struggling along in this business for a little while, we, we decided we were going to one of the, the, ha, one of the uh, pep rally things in the big arena, you know, the big thing where they tell you how to do the business and it's yay raw and guys get up on stage with giant checks that are $40,000 I made in the last three minutes and, you know, you too can be rich and have a yacht. You know, the, you, you know what I'm talking about, these kind of things, right? So we got in the car and we drove from Nashville to Birmingham, Alabama, which is two hours direct south of Nashville, and we went to the Alabama theater to this big event. How many of you have ever gone back to your old grade school, your old elementary school, and when you got there, it had shrunk? Well, that's what happened to the Alabama theater. In my mind, in this story, there were 10,000 people in the Alabama theater. Now, Pastor Jason, where I were talking last night, he's actually been to the Alabama theater because he's a southern boy. Y'all know that. And uh, he, he, he remembers the place. It doesn't hold 10,000. I did an event down there the other day, a little small event. It holds about 800. But in my head, this was a big deal because I'm a little redneck, beer-drinking, hillbilly boy with my buddy, and we're up in the back rafters sitting back there. And finally, at the end of the day, after all the pump-up, 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 the big guy gets on the stage, the guy we wanted to be like him. He was the richest guy, the one making the most money. We wanted to be like this guy. You know what I'm talking about. He had credibility with us. And, And he gets up, and he was a good speaker, too. And we had written down five things. We said, if we can learn these five things, we will be able to win at this business. We'll be able to be rich and have a yacht, you know, all this stuff, right? And so not only was he a good speaker, not only was he the guy, the big dog on the porch, but in addition to that, he used our five questions as if he knew what they were as the outline for his talk. So by the time he finished to say he owned us would be an understatement. If he'd have told us to go, you know, buy a bag of dirt, we would have done whatever he said to do at this point. Instead, what he said was, and there's one other thing. We went, no, we got our five. Were you missing one? No. One other thing. If you don't know God and you're not introduced to his son Jesus, you're going to struggle in business because that will teach you how to value people. And people in business who treat people like a transaction instead of a relationship will always struggle in business. I looked at him and I said, I think he's been talking to my wife. So me and Daryl, Daryl and his other brother Daryl, right? We, we go back to the hotel room in the Holiday Inn, get the night table, nightstand by the end of the bed, open it up, and there's a Gideon's Bible in there. We, we're going to have to find God because that's part of the formula, apparently. We open up the Gideon's Bible. Of course, it's King James. I mean, Shakespeare and Jesus. There is no chance these two rednecks are figuring this out. I'm just saying, Okay. And so we gave up and closed the book and we went home. And I, but I did tell my wife, I said, we're going to church. And she said, who are you and what have you done with my husband? So we started visiting some churches. And it's so good to be in a church like this where the praise and worship is like excellent and it's fun. And there's just a spirit of celebration in here. Have y'all ever been to those churches where it's not? 
I mean, unbelievable. People in there are, if, you, if there's a God, you ought to be happy about it, you know? If, they, if Jesus really died for you, you ought to be happy about it. You know, notify your face. You know, it's just <laughs> unbelievable, right? You go to some of these churches, they, people look like they were weaned on a pickle. <laughs> right? So life is bad. So finally, we bounced a few of those and end up at the, this little 400-person church. And we go in there, and we're sitting on the back row, you know, because you got to get back there where you can sneak out, right, not being seen. And because they didn't have like next steps or something that sophisticated. My next step was get to the car before anybody bothered me, right? And so I'm going to sneak out in and out of there as fast as I can. And so, oh man, oh man. And we're sitting there, and they're singing, and this woman raised her hand like this, like she knew the answer to some question. And then she started raising her other hand. Then other people start doing that. I had never seen anything like that. I told Sharon, I said, if they get snakes out, I'm out of here. <laughs> we kept being drawn back to that church, and something was just pulling us. We couldn't figure out what it was. Found out later it's called the Holy Spirit. And it was an old-timey church, you know, like the pastor would stand at the back, only 400 people. And the pastor would stand at the back, shake everybody's hand as they left. Y'all ever been to old-timey church like that? And this was 40 years ago. And, and, you know, his wife would stand back there with him and she'd give you a big hug. She's a big squishy woman. She'd give you a big grandma hug, you know. And, and oh man, the Holy Spirit is just all over this. And he was a man. He would look at you. You could feel strength and you knew you wanted that kind of strength. It was a different thing going on. And that handshake and those hugs pulled, us into the, pulled me into the kingdom. I was baptized there, I met God there, and I went in overdrive trying to catch up and learn stuff about the Bible, because I had never read the Bible. I didn't know anything about that kind of stuff. Started buying and selling real estate. Just before that, I'd left that multi-level thing and started buying and selling real estate, and I got rich, at least by a kid from Antioch, Tennessee standards. We started with nothing, and by the time I was 26 years old, I had $4 million worth of real estate, a little over a million dollar net worth, and that year I made two hundred and $50,000 cash taxable income. Now, I don't know what neighborhood you grew up in, but the neighborhood I grew up in, we called that rich. And it was fun, too. <laughs> you got that car you always wanted. If I got some money, I would get that car. You know the one I'm talking about? For me in those days, it was a Jaguar. I wanted a Jaguar because nobody in my old neighborhood could even spell Jaguar, <laughs> much less knew what one was. So I got me a Jaguar, baby. Within 90 days, I was a Jaguar. It was fun. We got Sharon some sparkly things, and they weren't big enough, so we got her some more. It was fun. We went to Hawaii, rednecks in Hawaii. Oh, man. That was fun. And you know what? It was so nice in Hawaii. You know what we did? We went back. It was fun. Sometimes I hear these people say, all those rich people are miserable. Uh Uh-uh. Now, I'm not shallow enough theologically or philosophically to tell you money will make you happy. Money will not make you happy. I am sure of that scripturally and I'm sure after teaching this for 30 years. Money will not make you happy. Money will make you more of what you already are. If you are happy, money will make you happier. If you have a good marriage, money will make your marriage even better. But you have a dysfunctional marriage, it'll screw up everything. 
If, you, if you're an angry person, you get money, you, Lord, help the people around you. If you're a compassionate, generous person and you get money, you become a force of life change towards everyone you come in contact with. We call you a philanthropist. Money magnifies you. It magnifies everything in your life. And, and if you got crazy in your family, and we all got crazy in our family, it magnifies the crazy in your family. It's amazing what it does. And if you don't think there's crazy in your family, you're the one. Because <laughs> every family's got it, right? Some of us get a double dose, right? But, oh man. So I, I'm not here to tell you money will make you happy. It won't make you happy, but it was fun. And, and you know, but I had done some stupid stuff. How many of y'all ever done some stupid stuff with money? How many of you that didn't raise your hand have a problem with lying? <laughs> if you've made mistakes with money, that makes you over 12. Well, I made mistakes with zeros on the end. I got a PhD in DUMB. I mean, I've done dumb on steroids. I know what dumb looks like up close and personal. I mean, we had borrowed so much money. We, we had $4 million worth of real estate. We had a million dollar net worth. Translation, I had $3 million worth of debt. That's how a net worth statement works, right? balance sheet works. And so <laughs> uh, that $3 million worth of debt, 1.2 million was with a local bank. The bank got sold to another bank in another city. And a guy in another city looks down and says, there's a 26-year-old owes us a million too. Let's limit this relationship, which is banker talk for ruin his life. It was commercial paper, which allows them to do all kinds of stuff that consumer paper doesn't allow them to do. Details later. But they called our notes and we spent the next two and a half years of our life losing everything we owned. We were sued <laughs> so much that the little guy that brings the lawsuit papers were on a first name basis with him. You know, Sharon's making him cookies. Hey, Harold. We were foreclosed on a lot. Finally, with a brand new baby and a toddler and our marriage hanging on by a thread, we were bankrupt. We didn't get a divorce. We held on to each other. But we about killed each other, y'all. It was ugly. I mean, we didn't get a divorce. We held on. But sometimes it was just to get a better grip. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Sharon's from the hills of East Tennessee. Frying pan throwing there is an Olympic event. <laughs> y'all, I was so scared I couldn't breathe. I'm 28 years old and I'm broke. And all the things I thought I knew about life and about money were apparently false because I hear I sat broke. I built a house of cards and I was shocked when it fell. I remember standing in the shower with it so hot I could just barely stand there and I would stand there and cry because I couldn't breathe. It was 30 years ago and I still remember standing up here talking about it. It still makes my throat tight. When I take a call from somebody on my radio show, I can hear it in their vocal cords. I can smell their pain. I know exactly what it feels like. So I met God on the way up. We got to know him on the way down. Some of you have been there. May not have been the exact same story. It may be a different story of some kind, but pain will teach you to pray. Pain will make you surrender. Pain will teach you to read the Bible, to try to figure out how life works. That's what happened to me. I had an I surrender all moment. I'm not talking about a Baptist altar call. I'm talking about I surrendered. 
was laying on my face and going, God, I'm not doing anything. What do you want to do? You tell me what the next steps are. I don't know how to be a daddy. I don't know how to be a husband. I obviously don't know how to handle money. I have a finance degree with all these letters and licenses after my name, but here I sit broke. Apparently, I don't know anything. God, you are not my co-pilot. You are the pilot. You are the Lord of my life. What do you want me to do? And he said, well, son, I wrote you a letter. It's a little long, but I'm crazy about you, and I want you to read my love letter. So I started reading and reading and studying and reading and studying and taking classes and I'm going to run my marriage this way. We're going to run our kids this way. We're going to run our business this way. We're going to run our money this way. And I'm in here looking at marriage and it says, submit yourselves one to another. Oh, crud. <laughs> Means I got to dry dishes. <laughs> Serve your wife. What? You're kidding. My kids are like, Hey, Dad, what's this rod stuff? <laughs> Come here, baby, I'll show you. <laughs> There's 2,500 scriptures on how to deal with money. Two-thirds of the parables that Jesus taught were money-based metaphors and or direct money lessons. Jesus talked more about money in the New Testament than he did about love and grace combined. Why in the world is God concerned about money? Because we all think money is evil. And folk out there really will tell you money's evil. Don't you know the Bible says that money is the root of all evil? And I said, no, I don't. Because it doesn't say that. The Bible says the... Ah. So the money's not evil. It's my heart. It's got issues. Money's not bad. Money's not good. Money's just money. It's just another tool. Cars aren't evil. Bricks aren't evil. Chairs aren't evil. We, they're just things we use. But if we begin to worship them, oh, now we got a problem, right? The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So I started studying, and I read a guy named Larry Burkett and another guy named Ron Blue. They both became friends later, and Larry's passed away since, and Ron and I are still good friends. Ron's about 80 years old now, and an amazing man, iconic figure in the world that I'm in, and uh, started learning what evangelical Christians say about money, what the Bible has to say about money, and studied it for 30 years and taught it now all over the place uh, because God gave me a story to open up with. There's five things. If you do these five things with money, 100% of the time they work because they come from Scripture. And to the extent you don't agree with these five things, you're what's known as wrong. Not because Dave Ramsey said it. Dave Ramsey don't mean beans, but, but the Bible says it. And if you do what the Bible says in your marriage, your marriage will be more successful. If you do what the Bible says with your kids, your kids will be more successful. If you do what in leadership, what the Bible says a leader should be, you will be more successful as a leader. And if you handle money with what the Bible says, you will be more successful with money. So let's talk about them. The first one is get on a budget. You have a little thing to write notes in. If you want to do that, you can because the devil hates it when you take notes. Get on a budget. Jesus said, don't build a tower without first counting the cost lest you get halfway up and you're unable to finish and all who see you begin to mock you and say, this man began to build and was unable to finish. Another Christian that can't pay his bills. I added that last part. That was me. You're going to make four to $15 million in your working lifetime. Add up your income times your whole working lifetime. You would never build a $4 million house without a blueprint, and yet we handle our money with no plan at all. 
John Maxwell says a budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. My friend Zig Ziglar says if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. If you manage money for a company called You Incorporated and you manage money for You Incorporated the way you manage money for you now, would you fire you? Don't answer that. And yet we manage money for God. And we say, Lord, would you send us more money? We're horrible at handling it, but would you send us more money? And by the way, he answers all prayers. The answer to that prayer is no. It's in the Bible. You ever read the parable of the talents? The guy who misbehaved with money and didn't do a good job with the management of the money, what did God do? Give him more? No. He not only didn't give him more, he took what he had. Who'd he give it to? The guy who managed it well. Wow. That's different. You mean if I mishandle money, God's not going to give me more to manage? That's what it says, because right after that it says, when you're faithful in the little things, you'll be given more to manage. Have you ever read that? Say yes. So don't be praying for money when you're misbehaving with money. It's a waste of your breath. Because your loving Heavenly Father knows that if He gives you something you don't have the strength to hold, it is not a blessing, it is a curse. It'll destroy you. You ever seen people get money that weren't ready to handle it? Destroy their life? You ever seen that? Your loving Heavenly Father would never do that to you. I love my son. When he turned 14, he came in and said, Dad, I'm going to go buy a brand new Corvette when I become 16. And I said, son, I've seen you drive. You're incompetent. No, you're not. You will be getting an old Chevette with a tired gerbil under the hood. <laughs> but my son, when you are faithful with the little things, you keep that between the ditches. You keep those tires shined. That oil changed. We'll talk about an upgrade. But I know that an incompetent 16-year-old in a 465-horsepower fiberglass vehicle that will go from zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds would kill him because he's incompetent or somebody else. And as a loving father, I would never bless him what he thought was a blessing, and instead it becomes a curse because he can't handle it. He's not competent. But prove your competency. It's biblical. Well, that's a works theology. Works are all in the Bible. You guys, some of y'all farm. Says you're going to reap what you sow. Is that works? You plant nothing, what do you get? Mud. Government's not going to plant anything. You plant nothing, you get mud. You plant something. Plant beans, you get surprisingly beans. And you plant corn, you surprisingly get corn. You reap what you sow. That's a works theology. You're going to do some work in the Bible. The diligent prosper. It's all in Scripture. Work is a godly affair. And it's a godly affair as we work out our faith with trembling. It's all in the Scriptures. The second one is avoid debt. Get out of debt. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Get out of school. Most people got so much Sally Mae in their life, they buy an extra bedroom just for her. Angry old woman. Got a little master card. The borrower's slave to the lender, but we get master cards. That's kind of funny. Wonder who named that. And then, of course, we get out of school and now we 
we're like an adult, so we need like a big girl car or a big boy car, right, that we can't afford. So now we got car payments. The average car payment in America is $504 over 86 months right now. By the way, if you invest $504 from age 30 to age 60 or age 70, let's say age 30 to age 70, you'd have about $5.6 million in your Roth IRA instead of a car. Hope you like the car. And then, of course, you've been married 10 seconds, and everybody says, get a house, get a house, get a house, get a house, buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. And did you know that broke people shouldn't buy houses? When you're broken, you buy a house. You know what it makes you? Broker. That's why they call them mortgage brokers. People come in our office, look like this all the time. Dave, I'm so far in debt I can't breathe. The borrower is slave to the lender. Can you get me out? I say, yes, I can, but it's going to hurt. What do you mean? Well, we're going to have to amputate the Tahoe. You're going to have to sell so much junk that you can't afford that the kids think they're next. You've been spending money like you're in Congress. <laughs> Time to stop. Sharon and I read that scripture, and the pain we were in, we were in a, you know, when you're in pain, you're in a place to learn, right? I was in a place to learn. I was willing to do about anything right then, and I figured out, you know what? We don't borrow money anymore ever for anything. I have been a slave. I don't want to be a slave again. American Express calls my house. It's what's known as a wrong number. I'm never going back. You don't have any payments? Nope. Had any payments in 30 years. We got out the credit cards, lit some candles, had a plastic surgery party, had a plastectomy at our house. We chopped them up. Citibank. What's in your wallet? Money. That was a Sears card I just cut up. Aren't they bankrupt? Something backward about that. Discover freedom. American distress. You don't have any credit cards? No. Don't have any credit cards. That's my wallet. Green president's faces. Four pieces of plastic. Debit card on my business. Debit card on my personal account, which will do everything your credit card will do except put you in debt as long as there's money in the account. Spend money you actually have. There's an idea. My driver's license and my handgun carry permit. So, yeah. Oh, a couple rednecks up here too, huh? Okay. <laughs> I said that in California the day I got arrested. <laughs> Good to be back in America, but uh, uh, the third one is foster high quality relationships. You become who you hang around with. Have you noticed that? You know that because you don't let your child run around with a juvenile delinquent. If little Johnny down the street's a weed head, you know if your kid runs with little Johnny, your kid's going to be a weed head. You know that. If little Johnny's got a foul mouth, your kid's going to end up with a foul mouth. We know this. You're the same way. I'm the same way. I have noticed in just a few hours I've been up here yesterday and today that apparently all you people have an accent. <laughs> you don't even know how to say Lancaster. <laughs> I'm still trying to shorten that out and take all the syllables out. My name in the South is a seven-syllable word when I'm in trouble with my wife. It's David. 
You speak like those you hang with. You read the same books those you hang with. You watch the same movies those you hang with. You study the Bible. You're generous. You handle money like those you hang with. Choose who you hang with. Now, I'm not talking about who you're nice to. I'm never a snob to anybody. I'll help anybody. Any religion, any background, any political affiliation, as long as you're not trying to be mean to me, I'll, I'll help you any way I can. I'll do anything. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who your crew is, who your internal people inside your circle that affect your life. Did you know that your 10 closest friends' income, that your personal income will be within 10 to 15% of the average of your 10 closest friends' income over the next 10 years? Some of you are going, I need some new friends. Well, maybe. I don't know. If you're a drunk, you don't need to hang out with drunks. Or you'll stay a drunk. You need to think. Who's your crew? Now, not who you're nice to and who are you abandoning, but who is right there in your life. It affects everything. It's one of the data points we find on people who are winning with money is they run with people who are winning with money. No kidding. Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The Bible's real clear. Fourth one is save money. The Bible says in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Save money. And that proverb continues, a foolish man devours all he has. Wise people save money. Foolish people spend everything they make. Don't get mad at me. That's what God said. I have been that fool. And you don't want to be a biblical fool. This is not a greeting like, hey, fool. No, this is a fool. The fool and the wise are contrasted all through Proverbs. If you read Proverbs over and over again, you'll have a master's degree in finance. It's in there. And the fool is the one who doesn't live life well, and the wise is one who lives life well. In the Hebrew, actually, the word wisdom means the art of living life well. The wise man. Are you living your marriage well? You're wise in your marriage. Are you a wise parent? You're living your parenting well. That's what it means in the Hebrew. The fool is the opposite. A foolish man, foolish is the verb of a fool in action. A foolish man devours all he has. Wise people have stores of choice food, which was a sign of wealth in Solomon's time, who wrote Proverbs, by the way, wisest man to ever walk. Sign of wealth in, in times, and so was oil. Oil was used to keep the Holy of Holies lamps lit and used to anoint kings. Oil was a sign of God's spirit, and so it was, it was highly treasured, and you could take it to the marketplace like we take green president's faces and exchange it for things. Now reread that. In the house of the wise are stores of money, choice food and oil. Wise people save money. And, and the first thing you save for his grandma said to do it. She said, save for a what? What? Visual aid. It's going to rain. Better get ready. Going to be a car wreck. Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to get laid off from work. This one I never understood. An unexpected pregnancy. Say what? Things are going to happen. Life, that guy on the video, is going to happen, right? You need some money. Three to six months of expenses is your baseline. That's a starter emergency fund. Then you start saving for wealth building and for paying cash for things because you don't borrow money anymore. 
See how these things start to work together? I've got a plan, a plan so that I get out of debt and stay out of debt, a plan so that the people I'm hanging out with, I can expand my life like they are to generous giving and generous living because I don't have to do this anymore. And a plan changes everything. I've got a, I've got a detailed budget. I'm getting out of debt. I'm hanging out with people that are doing the same. And guess what? I'm saving and investing and building wealth. These all work together to cause the last one to happen, which is be outrageously generous. Outrageously generous. I'm not talking about your personal giving with money. I'm talking about who you become. Generous is a spirit. Generous is a character quality. Generous opens the door for others. Generous picks up the groceries that are rolling all over the parking lot because the bottom fell out of one of those dumb bags again. Generous is helpful. Generous is compassionate. Generous is loving. Generous exhibits the fruits of the Spirit. You'll see them on the person's life. That is a generous person. Very difficult to be generous when you're broke and your light bill's behind and you're worried about your kids. Hard to do. Matter of fact, you're not even supposed to. Take care of your own household first or you're worse than an unbeliever. You read that one. All kinds of scriptures giving us guidelines on what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. It's all in there. It's pretty amazing. My heavenly father is so crazy about me. He's got a plan for my life. Your heavenly father is so crazy about you. He's got a plan for your life. It's not to bring you harm, but to bring you hope. You read Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know this. He's got a plan. He sent you a love letter. He said, this is how you live. And tithing is a baseline. That's just a starting point for those of us that are evangelical Christians. But we just live a life that we're, we don't have to worry about ourselves because we've got an emergency fund. We're out of debt. we got money coming in. We can just look for God appointments or we can create them. And just carry some money around and go, God said, and help somebody. Here's a challenge for you. Try this one. Easter's coming. Maybe try it then. Maybe try it Thanksgiving. I don't care. But um, y'all got like Waffle House or IHOP around here? Is this thing on? <laughs> Have y'all got Waffle House or IHOP around here? Like these kind of pancake places. You know what I'm talking about? Waffle places, right? Greasy spoon, right? And, and so, yeah, here's what I want you to do. On your way to grandma's house, you load up the family. You're going to go have a feast on Thanksgiving or Easter, right? And on your way, I want you to give an extra 30 minutes and I want you to try this experiment. Go, go by there and pull up in front of the window of the little restaurant where you can see inside. Leave the family in the car. You can even leave the car running. You're not going to be in there long. I want you to go in there and have a cup of coffee. And I want you to sit there and, and about just halfway through that cup of coffee, I want you to slip about four of these Uncle Benjamin Franklin C notes, $100 bills up under that saucer. I want you to grin to yourself as you're doing it because this is fun. Now I want you to slip out right quick and go get in the car and go, kids, watch God show off. Watch God, kid. Put the screen down. Watch God show off. She'll walk up. And when she sees this, the air changes. Here's what she'll do. She picks it up. She wonders if it's a trick. Because it's been so long since anything good's happened to her. Because you see, if you work there, things ain't going well for you. If you're working there on Thanksgiving morning, things are tough. 
Would you pick it up? Put it right here. And then even if she's not a Christian, even if she hasn't prayed in years, she can smell the breath of the Holy Spirit. She knows something's happening here. God reveals himself. And 100% of the time, even if she's not a person of faith, she'll look up. She may not have prayed a prayer in 20 years, or she may have prayed 20 minutes that morning. I don't know. But she'll look up. Thank you. Because she knows where it came from. I know people like you. I've worked with people like you the last 30 years of my life. Good people. People who care about others. People who love God. They're doing the best they know how to do. I see the things you're able to do when you align your life with Scripture, and I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I know that if you do the things we're talking about today, it'll not only change your life, It'll change your family tree. And I dare you to get on a budget. I dare you to get out of debt. I dare you to build wealth and run around with people that are. Because I defy you to find anything you can do with $400 that is more fun than what I just described. That is the most fun with money you will ever have. And I want you to live in that kind of abundance. The abundance of outrageous generosity. But you have to work to get to that place. It's not just a change of heart. It's a change of your life. It changes everything. And that's what's required. But I believe in you. I know you can do it. I talked to people last night whose marriages were saved when they decided to start handling money. I, I, I got with Brooks, Brooke last night and he walked up on stage and he hit the send button and paid his last debt and he's debt free. And this is a young guy with a sock hat and skinny jeans. Me and him have nothing in common. <laughs> he's way cooler than me. I don't have a cool bone in my body. This guy personifies cool. But he just did God's ways of doing stuff. And you know what? We got that in common. And we're best friends right now. That's how this stuff works, guys. It changes everything. I dare you. God, we thank you. We thank you for showing up here. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the lives that are changed by your word. Because when your word intersects their lives, Lord, it changes the trajectory of their lives. So God, we thank you. And we ask that you breathe your spirit on, on the fruits of, uh, of our being here. You cause what you want to happen to happen. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, what an amazing message. So much wisdom uh, there that came uh, via Dave this morning. I just want to encourage you, if you're here today, and maybe you're sitting there and something that he said just resonated with you. Maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and, and you know, uh, the new, new year and Christmas was awesome, but you're sitting here looking at uh, mounds of debt or you've, you, on the way here to church this morning. Maybe you, you had a fight about finances or sometime this week. Listen, there is power that comes with applying God's word to your life, especially in the area, 
area of our finances. And when it comes to uh, fresh faith, which is what this series is all about, uh, it seems like one of the toughest things to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ about is when it comes to his provision in the way of finances. So today we prepared a, a very uh, a special next step for you to take. If this is you here today and you say, man, I need some help. What I want you to do, uh, one, if you, if you got your smartphone with you, we've got a, a keyword that we want you to text. It's the keyword Dave, right? For Dave Ramsey, text the keyword Dave to the number 797979. And this is gonna send you back some resources uh, and actually a page on our website. We've got a budget form uh, that we wanna give you. This is very, very simple, easy. Begin to lay out uh, where your money is coming from. One of the, the toughest things sometimes for us to do is to figure out where's our money gone. We know it comes in, but where does it go? And so that's part of it is just tracking and seeing what that is. So we want you to check out that budget form. There's also some other things on there. Uh, one of the things I want to let you know about is something called financial coaching. This is completely free, completely confidential. We've got a team of coaches that would love to sit down with you and help you in any way they can to begin to not only track, not only make a plan, but to live that plan out in the area of your finances. So once again, that keyword is Dave. The number is 797979. And if you don't have your smartphone or, or you know, maybe you're like me and you just like to see it on paper, uh, in the Red Room today, we've got uh, plenty of those budget forms printed out as well. Just see anybody in a Next Step shirt and uh, they will get you one of those as well. Lastly, guys, I just want to invite you uh, if there's anything else that we can do to help you in the Red Room, maybe you realize today that, man, there is something to um, this Jesus. And, uh, you, you know, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I just want to invite you that you don't have to leave the same way you came in. The Bible says that if we um, uh, confess with our mouth Jesus, Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And we would love to help you take that next step. Maybe your next step is to be baptized. Anything that we can do, come see us in the red room and we will help you any way we can. Uh, otherwise, guys, once again, I just want to say thank you for coming out and uh, we'll see you right back here next week for our 11 year anniversary, the launch of Better Life Church Grayson and celebrating baptism. You guys have a great week. Thank you for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. You can let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app, available on any major platform. Lastly, if you're interested in supporting what God is doing in this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying that you have a great week and we hope to see you again soon.